Well, if you would have asked me early yesterday if I'd be standing in the pulpit today, I would have told you there's no way. I felt like at the first quarter of the game, I disqualified myself from ever standing behind a pulpit ever again. And yet God's grace is abundant. God's grace is good. And I am here today. I should have known it was going to be fine. I went to the donut store early yesterday and got my cinnamon roll and a uh, little messed up, nasty looking thing until I realized... Bam, there's the donut right there. That would be God's will for the day right there. And that comes actually from my great son-in-law, Travis, over there on the side. How cool, but never mind, I'll go, we'll, we'll talk later for those of you who are still struggling in your faith. All right, let's jump into spiritual things this morning if we can. That's my confession before the crowd. Today is a Bigger Step Sunday. We have challenged those who are members of Putnam City Baptist Church. If you're visiting today, we're thrilled that you're a part of this journey with us, and thank you for being here. But for the members of the church, we took a step of faith almost three and a half years ago to build a children's building and remodel our preschool because of the explosive growth that was going on in reaching young families. And so we took that step, and we made a commitment to pay that off debt-free, and we are $233,000 from uh, paying that off by the end of this year. And so if you look at the graph, today is Bigger Steps Sunday. We're asking you to give above and beyond your above and beyond. You say, holy cow, we've been doing this for three and a half years. Well, let's get there. Let's get to the finish line. And we're asking you to make a special gift today if you're a member of the church. Uh, we'll do another one in November. We're trying to spread it out so it won't just uh, drown us all at one time. And hopefully over the next couple months, we can come back together and we can celebrate that we have crossed the finish line. So thank you for your part in that journey. Uh, but today, we want to jump into this uh, concept of God questions. A lot of us have questions about God and about God's will for our life, but did you know God has questions for you? As a matter of fact, if you go out on our Church Center app, you can go to the resources. If you go up to the very top link where it says more, it'll give you a drop-down box. You can find a hundred God questions. A hundred questions in the New Testament that God asks of people that we need to let God ask of us. That's kind of what we're doing in this sermon series. I've taught us that anytime we see God asking a question, it's not because he needs information. He knows everything. So why would God ever ask a question? It's because there are things that we need to discover. And sometimes instead of God just baiting us with the answers, sometimes he draws us neat, uh, deeper through asking questions. Last Sunday, we kicked off and we saw the power of God questions through the very first question that was ever asked. It was asked of Adam when God said, where are you? I hope you've wrestled with that question, not just last Sunday, but every day you wake up, it's a great question to answer. Where am I? Not where am I going, not what am I doing, but where am I in relationship to God? Am I in the center of his will? Am I running from God? Am I playing games? Am I stepping away from my faith? Or am I growing deeper in my love for Jesus? Adam had to wrestle with that question. And as he answered that question, instead of running further from God, he actually came back to God and got back in the center of the Lord's will. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you need to return back home, or maybe you need to thank God for what he's doing in your life, but all of us need to answer that first question, where are we? Well, that takes us to a second question to answer, and I'm going to take you to this time, the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, the next question God asked. Uh, these first two questions that we wrestle with, uh, phenomenal in bringing us back in alignment with who God is and where we need to be. 
Now I'm going to take you into the New Testament when Jesus would deal with questions that people were wrestling with. Look at verse 13. So when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this district of Caesarea Philippi, Philip had built this city in honor of Caesar, the greatness of who Caesar was. Jesus now takes his disciples into this important area. It's kind of interesting why he would land here. You know, Caesar had tried to conquer the whole world and and was this great leader. And many people looked at Jesus and thought he was going to be their political leader. He'd be their new Uh, Caesar, if you will, that the Romans who had taken over Jerusalem and all of Israel, that God would send a Messiah, somebody who would drive out that pagan secular government and they would receive their country and their land back again. Well, here they are in this uh, dedicated place to Caesar. And he says, guys, who do the people say that I am? They responded and said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. As you look in on this, he asked him a very simple question, who the people said I am. Why would Jesus ask that question? Why did Jesus care what the people were saying? Did Jesus know what people were saying? Of course he did. He heard what people were saying. He knew what was going on. He heard the buzz. He knew all things. So why did he ask the disciples? Well, the reason he was asking them, one reason was because they were listening to the crowd. Obviously, they were listening because they had an answer. They said, well, and and they just jumped up real quick. Man, some are telling they're John the Baptist, and others say you're of Elijah, and some are saying you're like Jeremiah. They were obviously listening, and Jesus was concerned about that because it was impacting their thinking. I'd love to ask the teenagers what their peers are saying at school about who Jesus is. I would tell you that probably a lot of their friends aren't even talking about Jesus. Jesus isn't even an issue anymore. It's as if Jesus doesn't even exist. Others have certain wild opinions about who Jesus is. You and your your peer groups and wherever you are at your stage of life, everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. And the problem is, if we're not careful, our culture begins to dictate our view and understanding of Jesus. The disciples were listening in and they were caught up in it. I think Jesus was trying to expose what was going on inside their heads and inside their hearts. You see, I think it's pretty obvious they were listening to the crowds. They were the hot topic of the region. Everybody was talking about Jesus and his disciples. They were the talk of the town, the miracle workers. Everybody wanted to be where these guys were, and they were the hot show in town. Well, in times of success, that's when we have a tendency to fall more to the flesh and These guys were listening to the crowds. Oh, man, everybody's talking about this Jesus guy. Man, he's one of these miracle workers, just like Elijah and just like John the Baptist, man. And we've gotten in on the ground floor of this new regime. They were getting distorted in their understanding of who Jesus was. Jesus would ask them a question to draw out that poison or that toxin that had gotten in their life. And if we're not careful, the crowd's answers can also dictate our understanding or how we relate to Jesus. Everybody throughout human history has had to decide who is Jesus. Uh, The people in Peter's day had the same uh, opportunity. You have the same opportunity of deciding who Jesus is. They had drawn their conclusions, and here were their answers. Some said, well, he's John the Baptist. Well, that's kind of weird because John the Baptist has just been beheaded. John the Baptist is dead. He's not even alive. Why would they say John the Baptist? I think what they were saying is, He is just like John the Baptist. 
He is teaching a message of repentance. John the Baptist was the forerunner. John the Baptist pointed us to this guy, and now he's taken over, and he is a prophet that preaches repentance. And surely Jesus taught that. Jesus taught that we needed to turn from our ways, our sin, and needed to turn to a Savior. He preached repentance. Others said he's Elijah. Well, Elijah uh, was hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, and he had been caught up into the heavens. How could this be Elijah? Well, some believed he was as great, most of them perceived Elijah as the greatest of all prophets. So what they were really saying is, man, this is one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest prophets this world has ever known. Matter of fact, in the Jewish faith at Passover, there's an empty chair always set at the table. It is a chair that is left for Elijah because they believe Elijah, who was captured into heaven, is also going to return one day, and we believe that as well. In the end times, I believe Elijah will be returning as one of two witnesses to speak truth to the Jewish nation once again. So they were saying, we believe Jesus is just like Elijah. He is a great prophet. Others said Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one who, pro- who, who was a prophet to Israel, who wept over Israel, who was broken over their sin, and they saw the same heartbeat in Jesus. So they said, he's just like one of our prophets. All of them saw him as somebody who was religious, somebody who was speaking for God. They said nice things about him, but they all fell short of who Jesus is. You know, it's been said 18 inches separates heaven from hell. It's the difference from our head to our heart. The things we see with our eyes are the things we see with the heart. All of these people looked at Jesus and they saw him as a good guy, but they didn't see him as the God man. No one said he's a liar. There were some who called him a false prophet, but most in the region all said, this is a good dude. This is a great prophet. Well, if that is true, how can you be a good prophet and preach lies? It's impossible. And yet they weren't willing to go all the way and declare that all he taught was true, for he taught he was the resurrection and the life. And if anyone would believe in him, they would never die. Jesus taught, I am the way, not a way, the way. And they were willing to embrace Jesus at a distance. They were willing to at least acknowledge this is a good guy, but how can you be a good man, a good teacher, and teach lies? The crowd today much like the days of Jesus. They're willing to embrace a safe Jesus. They're willing to say nice things about this Jesus. Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a good guy. George Barna did a poll in 2015, and they asked that very question, who is Jesus? 92% of Americans in 2015 said Jesus was a real person. Not just because it says so in the Bible, but there is historical documents that validate Jesus was a real person. The majority of the population believe that, although younger generations, the millennial generation, has declined from 92% to 87%. 26% of those polled believe he was just a spiritual leader, just like Buddha or any other god or any other religious leader. Less than half of the younger generation believe that he was God. They most believe he was just a person of history. Uh, Most see Jesus as a guy in a book, just like we read about Yoda and Luke Skywalker or whoever else. He's He's just a picture from a book. He's just a personality. 52% of those who polled, of the 92% who believe he was a real person, 52% believe Jesus sinned while he lived here on this earth. 
While there are all kinds of different views and different perspectives, there isn't much argument about Jesus actually living on this planet. The question is, who was Jesus? John Lennon, for the younger generation, that was one of the Beatles. John Lennon had this to say. He said, when asked, is Christianity going to survive Or do you think Christianity will just fade away? And he said this. He said, I am certain that it will fade away. Jesus was okay, but we're more famous than Jesus. John Lennon would die just not too long after that statement. Marilyn Monroe, a famous actress of that day, was visited by the evangelist Billy Graham. And Billy Graham approached her. She was probably the most famous actress in the world at that time. And He said, I've been called by God to preach the gospel to you. And and they sat there and he preached all of the gospel. And he preached all to her how she could be saved. And at the end of the conversation, she said to Billy Graham, I don't need your Jesus. She made a decision about who Jesus was. He was irrelevant. He was insignificant. She was fine just like she was. And yet it's suspected that a week later when they found her in her apartment, it was possibly suicide. She'd given up on life. We can look throughout history at people's conclusions about who Jesus is, and I could give you story after story, but if we're not careful, we kind of blend in and bleed in with the culture. Modern day voice, Oprah Winfrey, with her popular show back in the day, had an engagement with her audience, and it was wrestling with this reality of heaven and hell, eternity and Jesus. I want you to listen in, and I want you to listen to what is kind of a popular answer to who Jesus is. Let's watch this. That we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a human being and and many ways no many paths to what you call god and her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not and i guess the danger that could be on that i mean it it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could possibly be just one way what what about jesus what about jesus There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with a million people Because you say you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where are you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know, Oprah... So you see this mindset that Jesus is a way, yeah, he's a way, 
But you can't tell me there's only one way. No way. There's millions of ways to God as long as your heart is good. After all, did you hear what she said was the purpose why Jesus came to this earth? She said Jesus came to this earth to teach us how to live. As if we are the ones that determine our way into heaven. And if you just live a certain way, there are multiple ways as long as you're pursuing God. And oh, this Jesus guy, uh, what about Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? She would say, well, God can determine their way. If, God's, if man's heart is good with God and fine with God, man will get there eventually. But Jesus declared something totally different, and you've got to wrestle with that. And you've got to figure out, what do I believe about this Jesus? A famous book was written, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And in that, Josh McDowell would say, you have to determine one of three things. He was either the Lord that he said he was and proved he was through his resurrection, or he is a liar and the biggest scammer this planet has ever known. To create this false understanding that he was the only way to heaven, that's a scammer. He can't be a good teacher and teach something like that. You've got to decide. He's either Lord, a liar. This guy was crazy. He's a lunatic. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, most won't say liar and lunatic, and yet in our hearts, we draw a whole different understanding. And so like the disciples, all of us have to decide. It doesn't matter what is said on the news. It doesn't matter what is said on social media. It doesn't matter what this generation wants to declare about Jesus. What matters is what you declare. Now, the second reason Jesus asked his disciples what people were saying is because they had to wrestle with that question. They had to come up with their own answer. Now, now quite frankly, they're buying into a lot of the lies. They're, they've got the wrong answers. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not like Jeremiah. He's God in the flesh. And most of us would have sat down and been worried about our pupils, our students, and we would have done what everybody else does, and we would have given them the answers. We would have said, no, 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 guys, that's not who I am. Quit listening to the crowds. Sit down. Now we have Sunday school. Pull out your Bible journal and let me tell you who I am. Here it is, guys. Write it down. Three-point sermon. They all got their pens out. Here it is, guys. It's real simple. This is who I am. And he would have given them answers. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. Okay, guys, turn your papers over. Class, who do you say I am? And the disciples could have been like many Southern Baptists or other people of other denominations today who've been told what to believe about Jesus. And they could have been little spiritual robots. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. You can quote it all day long. That's information that's taught to the head. But what does your heart say to that question? Who is Jesus to you? So let's go back and let's dig in because he doesn't give them the answers and yet he does. Take a look at it. Verse 15. So he said to all of them, but who do you say that I am? So remember, when God asks a question, what do we do? We stop, we put on the brakes, and we put ourselves into the question. I've got to answer that question. Every person in this room, every person who's viewing online, you've got to answer that question. And you can go with the crowd, oh, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was a man of religious significance. He taught us how to live better lives. You can go with all those answers, or you can let God reveal to you in this moment exactly who he is. This also is a great conversation to have. Maybe there's somebody that you're praying for. Maybe you have someone, you've been praying for them all this year, 
And maybe God would open a door to use today's sermon and say, you know what, we, we were challenged with a great question in Scripture. Do you know God asks questions? What do you mean God asks questions? Yeah, throughout all the Bible, we're, we're looking at the questions that God asks. A lot of us ask questions about God, but we're talking about questions that God asks. And one of the questions that God asked his disciples were, who do you say that I am? I'd be real interested. How do you view Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What a great way. You're not preaching at him. But you've just opened up a God conversation. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. Guess who's going to speak first? It's going to be Peter. And Peter jumps in. But he doesn't just jump in with Sunday school answers. He really wrestled with the question. He had to stop and think, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is Jesus to me? Why did I leave my fishing business and follow this guy? Out of all the rabbis in Jerusalem... Why did I hitch up my wagon to this train? Who's Jesus? Is Jesus just a means to an end? Am I just looking at Jesus as the hopeful next political candidate that's going to save my city and my nation? It might mean a great government job. Is Jesus just some crazy miracle worker and I get to be a part of the coolest show in town? Or is there more to Jesus? Is Jesus just a ticket for you to heaven? Is Jesus just your mom and dad's God? Who is Jesus to you? Simon Peter answered and said, watch this. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now notice his answer, first part of his answer. Notice what he declared. For the first time, he declared who Jesus was to him. He didn't say, well, man, you're probably right up there with Elijah. He had said that earlier. There's a part where they went up on the mountain. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? And there was Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain. And there was this transfiguration of Jesus and those two prophets. And there, Peter saw all of it. And what was his conclusion at the end? At that point, all he could see Jesus was equal to Moses and Elijah. Because he said, hey, when we get down, we got to build Three tabernacles, one for Moses, the law, one for Elijah, the prophets, and, oh, Jesus, you're just as good. we got to build you one, too. But now he comes to this point, and Jesus isn't just like Elijah. He isn't just a good man. He isn't just a prophet. He is, look at his answer, the Christ. That word Christ, some people think Christ was Jesus' last name. That wasn't his last name. Christ is a descriptor of who Jesus was. That word Christ literally means the chosen, heaven-sent one, the Messiah. Everybody believed that there would be a Messiah sent. They just thought Jesus or this Messiah would be somebody who would deliver them from Rome, not from their sin. And in this moment, through answering and wrestling this God question, all of a sudden, Simon Peter has divine revelation, and he's able to see Jesus for who he really is. He is God in the flesh. For look at the second part of his answer. You are the Christ, the chosen one. You are the son of the living God. You aren't just a man preaching about God. You are God. You are God. He is your father, and you are the son. You are the divine one. He saw Jesus, for more than he had seen him up until that point. He is the Christ. He is not a Christ. He is the Christ. The only one. 
the heaven-sent one for you. For God so loved you, he sent the Christ. That speaks of exclusivity. He isn't a Christ, a way, he is the way. Now, I, I, I kind of gave Oprah a hard time. It's also the pulpit that's been very confusing about who Jesus is. I'll give you a modern-day popular example, one of the most popular uh, most read preacher on the planet today. Watch this interview as he wrestles to explain who Jesus is. Watch this. Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joe, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's that what Jew is not going to heaven. No, I... I, I mean, can well, no, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart, you know. I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches, and I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be the God. believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For someone who doesn't share it. Well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I mean. Well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone? No, but I... about atheists? No, I just, you know what? I let, I let someone, let, I'm going to let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. And I just, again, I present the truth. And I say it every week, you know, I believe it's a relationship with Jesus. But, you know what, I'm not going to go around telling everybody else, if, if they don't want to believe that, that's going to be their choice. God's got to look at your own heart. God's got to look at your heart. And only God knows. A little confused. An atheist? What about an atheist who says there is no God? Well, I mean, because apparently how we get there is with our heart. Which is true, but it's only partially true. I would hope that there would be enough compassion for that that lost heart, that heart that doesn't know God, to be able to say, hey, there is a way to know. You can know God's love. You can know his grace. And we must declare the whole truth. He is the Christ. He isn't my Christ. He isn't a Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Matter of fact, Acts 4.12, write it in your notes and listen to what it says. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You say, well, you're a Baptist preacher. You're supposed to say that. That's what you believe. You grew up in that. That's what you went to seminary. I didn't go to seminary. I've been to seminary online. I've done some training. I've had to get my theology, but I didn't, grow I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up at the lake. But I had to wrestle with that question, who is Jesus? Who is Buddha? What is truth? Who is God? And can I know him? And I want you to understand that out of all that is on this planet that teaches us these millions of ways to God, there's only one who declared there is only one way. There's only one who declared, I am the Christ, the God man. There is only one who can resurrect from the dead and give you life. Even though you die, you can live forever. Only one has declared that message. His name is Jesus. Peter said, you are the living God, not a man living for God, but God in the flesh. And so if there were these multiple ways, 
If there is, I can have my Jesus, and that's a good thing, and I'm safe in my Jesus, but you have your heart, and you may be an atheist, or you may think this way, or you may do this. We'll get there if we're all pursuing God. We just got to have a good God heart. Then why, when Paul had a chance to minister to the Philippian jailer, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, and there's a big earthquake, and and, and, and it's a terrifying moment, and this jailer knows there's a God-man in the prison. There's this man who lives for God named Paul, and he goes running to him, and he says, whoa, we're going to die, we're going to die. What do I have to do to be saved? If you're Paul, and there are multiple ways to God, take advantage of the moment. Mr. Jailer, you want to be right with God? I'm a prophet of God. I live for Jesus, and he's called me to preach to all the Gentiles. But I am having a real hard time preaching to these honorary Gentiles because you guys keep locking me up. If you want to get some brownie points with God, let the prophet go. That would have been smart, wouldn't it? And, man, God will take note of that, and you'll earn some brownie points with God, and you'll get there because your heart's good. You don't find Paul saying, well, just asking the question, just because you're spiritually sensitive, you must come, you must have a godly mom who's prayed for you, and you're obviously a good man. You're not like these other jailers. You're fine. Go in peace. Now, you know what Paul said? You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ, and then and only then shall you be saved. There is no other way but Jesus. But who is Jesus to you? Do you, do you look at Jesus and say, well, that's a way? That's good for him or that's good for her, but I'm fine just like I am. Then you've already declared what you believe about Jesus. Verse 17, here's the problem. Why would Oprah, who says, I believe in Jesus, but believe he's not the only way, why do you find people who struggle with this and just want to make Jesus this good, love, warm, fuzzy Jesus, little baby Jesus, not come to know Jesus for who he really is? Look at verse 17. For Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's Peter's name before he would be transformed in this moment and become known as Peter the Rock. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, I can teach at you and I can talk from Scripture and preachers can preach it. Sunday school teachers can teach it. And there's flesh and blood teaching where you get the information. That doesn't save you. It has to be heavenly sent. For look at what it says. Flesh and blood couldn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he's the one that just showed you, Peter. There's information and there's transformation. I grew up believing there was a Jesus. I've told you, I, I talked to him. I prayed to him. I prayed, him. I prayed my parents off of me in Jesus' name often. I was real spiritual as a lost kid. I knew there was this name, Jesus, and you could pray to him for help, and I, I, I was familiar. I knew who Jesus was. But it wasn't until a junior year of high school that I was finally able to have the blinders removed and what I could not see. And even though there was a great preacher preaching it, it was God who revealed to me who Jesus was, that I needed a Christ. I needed a deliverer. I needed Messiah I needed someone to re release me from the wages of my sin. His name was Jesus. I tried everything else, but it was Jesus that changed my life. Peter wrestled with that question, and I hope you've wrestled with it this morning. And ultimately, the way you choose to approach your eternity determines your answer, what you believe about Jesus. 
Oh, Jesus is a good guy, but I don't need a Savior. Oh, Jesus taught good things, and I'm going to adopt a lot of those, and I'm going to do better because that's how, that's how God will be pleased with me if my good outweighs my bad. Or maybe God would show you he's the Christ. If that's you, in a moment, you're going to get a chance to pray like I did in front of half my school. You'll have an opportunity for everything to be changed. If you're watching online, God will give you that same opportunity. But many of you in this room have already figured that out. You know Jesus as your Savior. But Jesus is even more than that. So many people stop with that ticket to heaven and they miss out. And every day you wake up, you have an opportunity to declare who Jesus is in your life. Every day I wake up, I get to declare, Lord, you're my shepherd also. Yes, you're my savior, but you're my shepherd. Lord, I don't know the right way to go. I don't know the right decision to make. There's a way that seems right to me, but it'll get me into more trouble. So, Lord, I need you to be my shepherd. That's who you are, God. You're my shepherd. Not only are you my savior, Lord, you're also my wisdom. God, I'm a fool. I think foolish things, and I don't think smart. But God in you, I can have wisdom from above. You are my wisdom, Jesus, you're my strength. I'm weak. Apart from you, I would cave into sin every day. Apart from you, I would continue to live in the flesh. But God, Jesus, yes, you're my Savior, but you're also my strength. That's how I answer the question. Jesus, you're my victory in every single battle. As I was wrestling with the issues of alcohol and other things and days gone by, I had to declare, no, you're, yes, you're my Savior, but you are also my champion and my victory. Lord, you're my peace. I live in a place full of war. People who can't get along and people always fighting, and yet, God, you are the Prince of Peace. God, you are my peace. You're my fortress. When the enemy would come to try to destroy me and when I face all these attacks, you are my fortress. God, you're my provider. I don't have to look to Uncle Sam. I don't have to look to my retirement account. I look to you, Lord God. You're my provider. That's who you are, Jesus. Lord, you're my advocate. When I take my last breath on this planet, praise God, I don't have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. My sins have already been judged. But the Bible says the Lord is my advocate, my legal counsel. And how cool is it that he would step up to the Father and say, hey, this guy is not guilty before the court. And while there are, there are books from the days gone by of deeds that I have done that make me guilty before the judge, the righteous judge of all eternity. Jesus, my advocate, steps up on my behalf and says, Father, I'm pretty cool when your advocate's in line with the Father. His sins are paid for. He's declared I'm the Christ. His sins are covered by my blood. He's my advocate. I won't appear before that holy judge, and there will be many who said Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, and they lived the golden rule, and they did as good as they could like the rich ruler, and they appear before a holy God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And they want to open up the books, and they want to say, because I was a good dude. And the judge would say, mm, look at this, and look at this, and look at this. No, we need a Christ, an advocate. That's who Jesus is to me. And he is the bread of life. Lord, I don't need to eat of the things of this world. I don't, I don't need that stuff. But Lord, I need you. Lord, you're not just a savior. You're a sustainer. You're my bread of life. And I love you, Jesus. Would you pray with me with every head bowed? You see, Jesus is my everything. He's not just a savior. He wasn't a political deliverer from Rome. 
He is our everything for everything. But if he's not your everything, if he's not your Lord, don't you dare bank and count him just to be your Savior. He's not some little way to heaven. He is either your Lord or he's not. And in that moment, Peter was able to say, you're not just a rabbi and you're not like Elijah. You're the Christ. You are God. And I see it now. Maybe there's somebody here today, you're seeing it for the first time, just like I did on October 18th, 1981. Maybe this day, October 10th, 2021, God's opening your eyes. And if that's you, right where you are, you can do what I did that day, and you can pray and say, Lord, save me. I see it now. You are God who was sent from heaven for my sin. You paid the price I couldn't pay. Lord, I give you my life. That's you online. You can pray that. When we're done, if you would email us at ministry at pcbc.tv, we'd love to know. For those that are here in this room, we'll stand in a moment. There'll be ministers at the front. You can come to one of them and say, man, today, I finally see it. I trusted Jesus to be my Savior. You ought to be the first to come. How many of you would say, I know, I've answered that question. I know without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is my Lord. He is my Christ my Savior. Would you raise your hand all over this room? You know that to be true. Awesome. You put it down. That's a lot of folks. Just like a lot of hands went up that day when we were in that uh, Colosseum, if you will, that gathering space in Enid. But my hand couldn't go up. For nine months, I wrestled with that question. Who was Jesus and where did I stand with God? But that night, I nailed it down. If you couldn't raise your hand, if you have questions, man, today, Today, let God, let the Father show you who Jesus is. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. Trust him in this moment. Just trust him. Who is Jesus to you? Those of you who raised your hand, are you letting Jesus be Jesus? Are you letting him be your sustainer? Are you letting him be your strength? Are you letting him be your victory? Maybe today you just need to repent and say, God, I've trusted you for my salvation, but in all these other things, I'm not trusting you. God, forgive me. He also is the Lord of his church. He created the church, a body of believers, his sons and daughters. You don't have a church home. And God is speaking to you, and this is the place God wants you to be. This, this needs to be your church family. I'd encourage you to come as well. So let me pray. Alex will sing. Our ministers are coming already. You guys come to the front. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I pray that we would decide and we would publicly declare who you are in this moment. Father, reveal truth now. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.